your history say From 1655 We have been working on the same plantation Chanting the same recitation Say, Jaja is loving and who don't love him never know Jah Oh no, could I never know Jah Babylon, could I never know Jah Without love Carlton Jackson and the Scratch Perry History of Civilization. My name is Khalid and on Funky Revolutions, we continue with our tribute to Lee Scratch Perry. This is part six, the very early 70s. A lot of work with uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers in this period. Again, uh, we're very indebted to a number of resources, including David Katz's authorized biography, People Funny Boy. On last week's program, we ended with much of what was typical at the end of 1969 for Lee Perry, his instrumental work with the Upsetters, initially essentially the core of Gladys All-Stars. By 1969, he's working very much with the Hippie Boys, including the Barrett Brothers, who will eventually split off in 1971 to form the core of the Whalers when Bob Marley and the rest of the crew split off from their work, very formative work, with Lee Scratch Perry. Perry had known the Whalers before while they were working at Studio One, but there's a general consensus that he was, at this period that we're looking at today, essential to the transformation of their harmonies and the vocal stylings of Bob Marley. In fact, in this period, 1970, Marley returns from the United States, Bunny Whaler has been uh, incarcerated for about 14 months for marijuana possession. Peter Tosh has been striking on his own. Bob Marley will emerge uh, in Lee Perry's life before reforming with the Whalers. On last week's program, we kind of ran out of time, and at the close of 1969, a couple of things were happening. Lee Perry had gone to England with the Hippie Boys as the Upsetters, kind of abandoned them there. They recorded an album, The Good, The Bad, and The Upsetters, 
which had nothing to do with Lee Perry. He was coming back and forth from Jamaica and London. He releases uh, one track at the end of the, I guess, decade with Dave Barker and the Upsetters, Shocks of Mighty, and really announces some of the further sounds he's going to be developing at the beginning of this next decade. This is Dave Barker and the Upsetters, Shocks of Mighty. This is Upsetting, Shocks of Mighty. Hit me back.
Marley and the Whalers with My Cup, the first track produced, in fact, by Perry with Marley, who had come back to Jamaica and presented to Perry his version of James Brown's I Guess I'll Have to Cry, Cry, Cry. He's going to move in with Perry at this period and begin really transforming his sound under the tutelage of Perry who will convince him that uh, the vocal stylings of the Whalers is necessary to go further with their vision. At the time, they considered what they were doing not so much as reggae, but as revolutionary soul. And a number of their works will reflect the kind of ideology and, and vision that they were working for in the 1970s and into the better part of 1971 before they split apart. In 1977, Perry said, when the people hear what I am and do, then hear a different beat. A slower beat, a waxy beat, like you stepping in glue. Then hear a different bass, a rebel bass, coming at you like a sticking gun. This is kind of what he was trying to achieve around this transformative sound that we know as reggae, made by himself and other producers including uh, Clancy Eccles. David Katz points out that Lee Perry transformed the whaler sound by paring it down and aiming it to more towards Jamaican ears as opposed to having them simply aping the styles of their American vocal heroes, something you can hear in their earlier recordings at Studio One, some of which was engineered by Perry back in the day. He helped change the direction, as Kat says, of reggae by giving it a harder edge with lyrics delivered in a more natural and distinctly Jamaican vocal style. Many of the great songs from the Whalers catalog come from this period. This is a good example that comes later in their process at the end of 1970 and reflects what was happening on some records across Jamaica with producers like Perry and others the medley releases of a number of songs played together. This is All in One, Part One. Let 
The Whalers with Doopy Conqueror, one of the follow-up tracks in the beginning of their recording sessions of 1970, After My Cup. This is also a period for Lee Perry where he's also working with another group of musicians, the Soul Syndicate, as the Upsetters. And in fact, the first version of this song would be recorded with them before we're turning to the core of the Hippie Boys as the Upsetters feeling that they needed a stronger rhythm under this very powerful song. It's also reflective of how he was working, continuing this instrumental work that he's interested in, reworking, stripping down, re-instrumentalizing different rhythm tracks, keeping them in a catalog, playing them with other musicians. This was the flip side to the 45 released, their version of the Upsetters doing the Doopy Conqueror version, called Zigzag. Thank you. 
after Dupi Conqueror, the Whalers would return to a song they'd done a few years earlier, but completely give it a different strength and a, a different kind of arrangement with Lee Perry. It would be Soul Rebel that would give the title track to the first album he would release in 1970 for the Whalers. One of three albums with artists he was collaborating with at the time, including uh, principally Dave Barker, as we'll hear uh, at the end of the program. This was, this was really a proclamation of their revolutionary soul and the kind of place Marley was taking as the lead of the Whalers. As the group continued recording under the tutelage of Perry, a number of songs would be released, including Mr. Brown. They, among others, would reflect on the power that the biggest recording studios in Jamaica, like Federal, Cox and Dodd Studio One, and Byron Lee's Dynamic Sounds, had on the market and the capacity of independent producers and musicians to release music and have access to marketplaces and, and even sometimes the radio. Although Perry had sponsored an hour-long program himself, and had a sound system established to, in addition to his record store for uh, releasing his music. He also had these distribution deals with Trojan, Palmer Records in England, and various subsidiaries. But in this reflection and in this revolt against the major power companies and recording studios, they would release Small Acts. These are 
After the release of Small Axe, Perry would put out in late 1970 the first Whaler album as such, Soul Rebel, which included this last track we heard, 400 Years, which expressed, penned and expressed Peter Tosh's kind of orientation and revolutionary ideas, his Rastafarianism and his objection to the injustices of slavery in contemporary Jamaican society. His political stance had been growing more and more radical throughout the late 60s, and this last recording, 400 Years, really was an expression of those political beliefs. The album did rather well, but not as much as they'd hoped, and uh, they would continue recording through into 1971. There would be two other records released in that time period by Perry. The Upsetters Eastwood Rides Again, reflecting, of course, his uh, passion for themes around the Spaghetti Westerns and Clint Eastwood, and as well Dave Barker's Prisoner of Love at the end of 1970 kind of recapping some new releases, but as well as what had been released in the last year, year and a half, with these various artists. Entering into 1971, there's more and more material being recorded with Lee Perry, and he would release Soul, or attempt to release Soul Revolution. It was uh, another turning point for the work of the Whalers, more serious, a little bit more mature, Uh, There was really, you could see there was more and more comfort with their style. Uh, There was more familiarity in their collaborations, which allowed them a a greater sense of creativity, including this, Keep On Moving, which reworked the impressions, I've got to keep on moving.
taken from uh, the later period of recording between the Whalers and Lee Perry. A number of great songs emerge on Soul Revolution, the second album that Lee Perry was trying to get distributed in Europe. And uh, really the, the second phase of their recording series, including songs like Kaya. He would also release Lee Perry, that is, Soul Revolution 2, which was, again, indicating the, the very much the dub direction and interests that he had, really stripped down versions of the instrumentals he'd been working with, with the Whalers. And it really shows the direction that he and other guys like King Tubby are going to be working on in the near future in terms of this orientation or evolution of the branch of dub. The breakup of the Whalers and Perry collaboration will reach its pinnacle in 
mid-1971, but there's already uh, some tensions. Bob Marley will continue his relationships uh, with his mentor, Lee Perry, throughout the years, but Perry had different relationships with Bunny Whaler and with Peter Tosh. Don't need to get into all of the different reasons that have been catalogued in various books or interviews for the purposes of our program. But in 1971, you have Marley first going off to Sweden to work on a film with and soundtrack with Johnny Nash in Sweden. Then the group heads off back to London a little bit later to work on Johnny Nash's first album. And they begin to set up their own shop and eventually establish Tough Gong, their own record production label. But while Marley is, is gone... Uh, Perry continues working with Bunny Whaler and Peter Tosh and creates one of the classics of the Peter Tosh catalog, Down Presser, which really you know, gives you the sense, the roughness, the kind of Rastafarian um, articulation and ideas behind Peter Tosh's work. Montreal. My name was Khalid, and this was part six of our Lee Scratch Perry tribute. 19, the early 70s, very early 70s, 1970, 1971. And in fact, we ended up really working uh, on, on his work and collaboration and transformation of the Whaler sound, uh, leading to the explosion internationally of the group in the years that were to come, especially after they signed with Island Records. The first track, uh, we're going to end with the, the first track that uh, Bob Marley and the Whalers released on their own label in the summer of 1971. It would be number one in Jamaica for five consecutive months, quite extraordinary. During this period, and as we emerge now, as they break up, uh, and the hippie boy upsetter core with the Barrett brothers takes off with the Whalers to become the core of the Whalers, you're going to have other transformations. At this period, as I said, he was working with Dave Barker and other musicians, I, Roy, Little Roy, and we're going to get into that as we begin to enter the, the, the you know, change from boss reggae to cultural reggae, uh, and in 1973, the setting up of his own studio, The Black Ark. Again, pleasure to be with you, reminding you as usual, free your mind, our collective ass will follow. See you next week for part seven of our Lee Scratch Perry tribute as we move into the 1970s. This is Bob Marley and the Whalers. Independent of Lee Perry, this is Trench Town Rock. One good thing about music when it hits you, You reap what you sow, trench down rock, and only judge on.
Kingston 12. It's Kingston 12. It's Kingston 12 now. It's Kingston 12. Now why you come down so? Oh no. Now why you come down so? 